Are automation and AI on your roadmap? Connect with peers on the latest knowledge and explore events, programs, hackathons, an academy, and certifications. The forum is the core knowledge hub where you can find guidance. Join the UiPath community at community.uipath.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Stack Overflow podcast, a place to talk all things software and technology. I am Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow, joined as I often am by my wonderful crew of co-hosts, Cassidy Williams, Ciara Ford, and Matt Kiernander. Hey, y'all. Hello. So I just got back from vacation in New Mexico, and if for whatever reason y'all are out there, or if anyone's listening and y'all are out there, I recommend you can stay in an Airbnb of something called an Earthship, which is a house made entirely of recycled tires beer cans and bottles built into like an adobe hill and so the house is super super environmentally friendly in the sense it's made of recycled materials and then it captures all its own water from the rainwater and then uses that water four times to drink to shower to flush and to feed the plants outside so hopefully in that order hopefully in that order (laughs) (laughs) very important you don't screw that order up if you ever find yourself out that way, you should check it out. And I'll put I'll put a link to Earthship Biotexture in the show notes. You can sign up if you're so inclined to build an Earthship as part of their little Earthship Academy. So pretty cool thing. Cool. But moving away from the topic of my vacation, which is neither here nor there, <laughs> there was an interesting story here that kind of, it felt like took me in a direction I was not expecting. Um, it's from Protocol and it says, why AI and machine learning are drifting away from the cloud And it was about uh, companies that are seeing savings, they're spending less money and better performance by running these AI machine learning processes on machines inside their on-prem, essentially. Um, I just thought that was kind of fascinating because like the trend for the last 10, 15 years has been you're going to do better going with one of the big cloud providers and they've just got teraflops of, you know, whatever that they can do for you. Um, but as more and more companies have, you know, sort of lean into the idea of crunching their own data, um, they're actually finding that on-prem hardware, hmm, sometimes it's a, it's kind of a benefit. It's actually pretty I, decent. Yeah. I wasn't yeah. expecting this shift, like, ever. I wasn't expecting to see the, the return to on-prem infrastructure. So mm. this is really interesting to hear. I, when I, I got my start in the tech industry with cloud technologies. And maybe I really, I, I guess I really bought into the whole idea that like the cloud is the best. This is like the most secure, the most economically like, you know, viable option, whatever. So this right. is interesting to see that it's like turning around. I, I know one thing I've thought a lot about is like the few, like handful of times when like one zone is down through AWS and like right. all these platforms are just like offline because we're all at the <laughs> real of like AWS East goes down. Yeah, goes exactly. Bonkers. Yeah. Yeah, and like we're all at the will of AWS whatever section of the the globe is like out for the day. Um right. so I always thought about it from that angle but I never thought about it being like actually more financially viable yeah. for I mean the quote in here that I loved was uh just talking about how sort of like let's say you buy a bunch of this hardware and you've got it on site, you know, you've got electricity costs I guess, but you kind of know these are the limits of what it can do. Whereas, and I've heard this so many times with cloud companies and startups, it's like, 
if you let a bunch of engineers train on a bank of GPUs in a public cloud, it can get very expensive very quickly, which is like, you know, you let them loose and you're like, there's no limit to how much training they can do. Like, you know, it, the cloud provider will do it for you. And then you get the bill at the end of the month and you're like, oh, what have I done? Like, <laughs> <laughs> shouldn't have upscaled all those photos through that AI. You get horror stories of people accidentally setting like the wrong rules or regulations. And then mm -hmm. the bill at the end of the month is thousands of times higher than what they initially expected. Totally. Yeah. Like yeah. that was one of the reasons why I didn't want to go into cloud was because I was like, I'm so afraid of, you know, messing around in AWS, trying to spin up servers or whatever. And you have to be very specific about like the kind of server you want, the speed you want, the latency, all that kind of stuff. And so I yeah. was like, if I mess up, that's like a thousands of dollars mistake, you know, yeah, <laughs> one person totally. messing up could be worth thousands to, I'm sure even like hundreds of thousands sometimes like of dollars. So that was always terrifying to me. So I kind of can see how in some instances having on-prem infrastructure could be better. Totally. There's this one person who you might've heard her name, Jessie Frizzell. She is awesome. If she's listening to this, hey, Jessie. Um, she <laughs> was one of the very early core maintainers of Docker and like helped push a lot of cool cloud containerization stuff forward. And right. she's most recently the founder of a company called Oxide or I think Oxide Computer. The website is literally oxide.computer. And it is this, they are literally oh, yeah? creating hardware for this kind of cloud service and stuff. And they have That's open so source cool. firmware and everything. It's, it's really interesting stuff. Like when, when she announced it at first, I was kind of surprised because I was like a hardware company, interesting. And then I realized what it was and right. they're pushing forward a lot of really cool on-prem stuff. And, and it's interesting again, to see how popular it's starting to get. It is super cool because a lot of the bigger models now, you can like look at the training data, you can look at how it works and you can start to recreate it at home. Like people made so many cool inventions where they permutated GPT-3 in some way, you know, pushed mm -hmm. it in some new direction. Um, and so you begin to see these things where GitHub Copilot, right? It's a cool little code assistant and we like it. It's not perfect, but now it's a subscription service. So like, what if you wrote your own and then you just ran it on-prem, right? Or like the image generators, yeah. like these image generators are amazing. Like Matt was saying about like when something on the internet, like really like moves you or makes your day, like the image generators, I just feel so inspired by them and like the crazy stuff that they create. But, you know, mid journey, which is a really good one. They give you 25 for free and then they start charging you. And the same thing, I think it was on Dolly, right? It's like, if you want to own the art or if you want to run it again, they're going to start charging you. So it's interesting to think that after a certain point, you might be better off with this oxide computer doing some of this stuff, you know, on your own time in your own house. Someone actually did try to create GitHub Copilot and it's called Fopilot. In the show notes and it's a locally hosted version of Copilot. Nice. I think with a lot of these things, it's just going to be a continual iteration of cost-benefit analysis. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's going to be mm -hmm. easy to do things in-house. And then, say, for example, cloud infrastructures will change, the pricing models will change, the performance they can offer is different. And I think it's just going to be a constant kind of shift back and forth as right. the market continually adjusts itself, depending on what things are doing. Yeah. I guess like yeah, one thing that I have been thinking about a lot is how cool it would be to build a smart speaker on your own, like mm. to be able to have one that isn't yeah. tied into some big corporation that's not occasionally reminding you to buy something or suggesting something. It's just like if we could just take the smart speaker but put it on a you know a rack at home, 
Um, that's something I really desire. So if you ever hear about anybody building that or somebody's hobby project, I'm very, I'm very interested in it. The privacy first smart speaker. I'm going to probably take this totally off the rails, <laughs> but Do it. that is the part of like the whole decentralization argument that like is the most appealing to me mm. is the separation of like my data from these big corporations. I don't know if you all heard about um, Amazon apparently buying um, what's the company Roomba. that has a little iRobot, which makes the Roomba. Yeah, Roomba, the Roomba company. Like I was reading some things on Twitter, which again, full disclosure, could be totally like not factual. <laughs> <Cynical>. <laughs> Yeah, but one of the things they were mentioning is like Amazon is going to have access to so much more of your data because apparently these Roombas do collect data about the, the home, your home as they like roll through. Oh, yeah. Um, and so that to me was just like, man, like how do we? That's that's like the dream that I can buy into with the decentralization. I don't know if it's actually possible right. or if anyone is actually making gains in that specific aspect of it. But right. like, um, you know, you're mentioning keeping your smart speaker like separate from these big corporations keeping your data for your like vacuum robot separate from these <laughs> you know right. big corporations it's very very appealing to me right now especially like at this stage with big companies so i don't know the vacuum that's what, robot that's notices the... you have additional pet hair all of a sudden start sending you ads for <laughs> yeah Imagine. that is a black mirror episode uh, waiting to happen yeah people have been doing this a lot with just uh, network network attached storage for a few years where they've get, been getting sick of paying Google or whoever else for their monthly subscription fees and have taken that in-house. But mm. the cost to do that initially upfront is like a couple of grand if you're wanting to do it properly. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. The thing about paying for, you know, the iCloud photo backup and the Amazon locker and the Google one is my fear is always just when I get hard drives at home and i have a few with you know old photos and stuff is like then i forget them for a year or two and they go kaput and yeah, then i feel exactly. sad you know like and i just trust the cloud to be i guess a little bit better maintained than the you know sand disk one terabyte in my basement unfortunately <laughs> i i wonder what the the best solution to like this whole da data privacy issue is because i don't think the decentralization dream is panning out the way we expect it to or want it to i should say um so right. i'm like what is the best way to actually just get like these companies to give us some semblance of privacy and respect i don't know anyway we should move on <laughs> okay cassidy i know you wanted to talk about instagram and its troubles that's troubles mm. it's changes it's 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 constant evolution let's hear some thoughts that thing uh Ciara and i were just talking about our thoughts about this last week because yeah I don't like the direction it's going in and, mm -hmm. and to spare you the rant, but to, you know, give you a sample. Instagram is now doing like full page features. They're calling it or full screen features where it's has been heavily prioritizing videos, but it's doing that even more so right. in order to take on TikTok in some way. And I personally don't like that. And mm. maybe I am showing my age and what I like social media to be. <laughs> but it used to be like, you saw your friend sharing that they're having coffee and you could be like, you go friend, have your coffee and like their photo and move on. Now, if you want to see your friend's coffee, their baby, their vacation, whatever, you got to like leaf through so many different videos that are algorithmically attuned towards you before you can actually see your friends. Right. And 
I personally am not a fan of that. So photographers, artists, people like that are very dissatisfied with the way that Instagram is going because they often don't really post videos. They post pictures, right? right. If you're an artist, you're going to post pictures of what you draw or what you create, right? And that's how a lot of these people have been able to gain clients and things like that. And because of the mm-hmm. way the algorithm is going, it's basically hiding all the photos that they post of their work. So it's affecting how many people they can reach, how many clients they can get. It's affecting their like finances at this point. So I have been in tune with this discussion for a wee while because I got very into photography for a long time and followed a bunch of different photographers. And Instagram was a really important platform for them to showcase their work. Same with like, as you mentioned, so you're like 3D artists or any kind of art, it's typically still based. And there was a tweet from someone that I follow recently that word for word said, can every photographer just stop whining about Instagram? It was never a platform for us. We just acted like it was. These apps have Mm. changed and will continue to change based on what Mm. audiences actually consume. If that's not what you make, then it's time to adapt or leave. Right. I know like a while ago when Medium started to monetize, a lot of like nonprofit organizations were like, okay, we're just going to create our own blog instead, which is much more accessible than like creating a whole photo sharing app with like other people who can (laughs) create like, you know, accounts and be able to interact with your posts. Mm -hmm. So it kind of puts you like in a, in between a rock and a hard place. There are a few B Corps out there, you know, the Kickstarters of the world. And there's other ones where like in the charter of the company, it's like, this is what we want to do. We're an environmental company or we're a social good company. And so like, that's how you should view us. But for most companies, it's all, you know, you have to grow your user base or your revenue or your profit or you're, you know, you're not, you're, you're going to be in big trouble unless you're a private company, I guess. If you're a private company, yeah. you can run it the way you want. But for public companies, they're stuck. I feel like this exposes some like, I guess you could say issues in the tech industry that because the tech industry is so like fairly new that we probably haven't confronted before, especially for like consumer facing platforms like what do you do after you hit like the point where you're like this is we've reached like global dominance whatever and then things start to take a downturn i think you make a really good point think about industries of the past like automotive industry or telephone industry cr to your point like facebook including instagram and whatsapp and whatever is the first company where it's like yeah we've signed up over the years four billion people and like two billion people use it every month just to the scale where it's just like there's just not that many people left who have the technology accessible to use it, you know? <laughs> and then you're like, well, where do we go from here? And you're like, well, we got to invent the metaverse and like come on to the next thing. But like, you know, it's not actually here yet. So no, I do think, you know, the latest crop, the, the most recent crop of internet companies that grew up in like the 2000s and matured now have scale, have global scale that's unlike anything, you know, we kind of ever saw before. It's a really, I think this is like a prime example of like how, maybe the direction that a lot of tech companies are going to end up in if they keep like progressing and keep like growing and growing and growing like is this the is this the end of the road like what do we do after this stage they feel like they have to and like even that's something i'm dealing with in my day job where people are like okay well we've now realized we should really be on tiktok we should really be making all these short videos but the thing is not only do you have to make the videos, you also have to post really regularly. The algorithm actually punishes you if you don't post once or twice a day if, if, and at least right. three times a week. Right. I think there's a talk that we could go back and if you're curious, you can go and have a look. And it basically encapsulate everything that was said here today. And it's, it's termed the attention economy where all of these platforms, they're fighting for your attention more than anything else. Right. For folks who are interested in this topic of the attention economy and sort of like, why is this showing up in my feed? 
Um, there was a good piece from a guy, David Pierce, I used to work with, who does an annual feeds reboot. So you go into everything and you just clean it out. I know you think I like rollerblading and jazz music and uh, <laughs> videos of, you know, animals fighting. Okay, that's true. I like all those things, but I'm going to force you to forget all of it. I'm going to start fresh. I'm going to learn a few new things. I'm going to get out of my filter bubble. So if you haven't done an algorithm cleanse, a feed cleanse in a while, it's like a juice cleanse. <laughs> um, highly recommend it. I've been just setting screen time timers on my phone because I, the videos are entertaining, but they will suck you in. And so if you don't have something that physically stops you sometimes, if you have low willpower like myself, you got to use a tool to do it. And it's frustrating that it's come to that. The problem I've found with a lot of these applications, like occasionally I will get something so useful that validates all the time I spent on that platform. Mm. And it's right. kind of like gambling. And I'm like, oh, but if I hadn't been on Twitter and I haven't met that person, then I wouldn't have that opportunity. Or if I had seen that TikTok, I wouldn't have bought that rice cooker, which completely changed my life. You know, it's, mm. it's weird things like that that I personally struggle with because you do get those nuggets of gold from time to time right. but that's survivor bias you you might have bought a rice cooker <laughs> you could have been on a cool trip to a museum and seen a rice cooker like just you know <laughs> my thing is not even how much time it consumes although that is an issue my thing is i want diversity in my social media platforms i do not want twitter yeah. to be sure. tiktok i don't want instagram mm. to be tiktok i want them to be different like that's right. the whole point you know what i mean right. so mm. yeah, that's the totally. thing that's like frustrating about it All right, everybody, it is that time of the show. We're going to shout out the winner of a Lifeboat badge and say our goodbyes. This was awarded one hour ago to Silent. In React.js and Next.js, Constructor is getting a reference error. Local storage is not defined. Scary. Uh, if you want to know how to fix that error, we have an answer for you. And thank you to Silent for providing it. I am Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow. You can always find me on Twitter at Ben Popper. Email us, podcast at Stack Overflow with questions or suggestions. And if you like the show, leave us a rating and a review. Or if you want to see us talking, go to YouTube and you can see us talking. Unbelievable. And moving our hands. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> my name is Sierra Ford. I'm a developer advocate at AuthZero. You can find me on Twitter. My username there is Sierio. That's C-E-E-O-R-E-O -E -E underscore. I'm Cassidy Williams. You can find me at Cassidoo, C-A-S-S-I-D-O-O -O, on most things. I do developer experience at Remote and OSS Capital. And I'm Matt Kiananda. I'm a developer advocate here at Stack Overflow. You can find me online, Twitter, and YouTube at Matt Kanda, M-A-T-T-K-A-N-D-E-R. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.